0: To another episode of Winging It Motown Radio. I'm your host, Kyle. Tonight on the horn we got with us. Uh, we got JJ, we got Michelle, and we've got Joe. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, how are we feeling tonight on this uh beautiful October Monday evening? It's the best was, day ever. Yeah, that was a question. It kinda sounded like a statement, but it was a question.
1: Yeah, best day ever.
0: Wow. Oh. Do you guys ever have a bad day?
1: Uh yeah, I had like seven of them last week, but it's a new week now. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Michelle, how are you? I am. I am just peachy, ready to talk some hockey.
1: Great,
0: great. I'm glad to hear it. Um, well, I'm doing okay. I'm uh, doing pretty, pretty well. Uh, in case any of you were wondering, um, we got a, we got a, we got a, we got a boatload to talk about this week. Um, most of it has to do with Red Wings stuff, obviously, because we are a Red Wings blog. We write about the Red Wings. Uh, I don't know what you were expecting. If you want stuff about the St. Louis Blues, then go to the Seriously. St. Louis game time, uh, or
2: go stick your head in the toilet. Or yeah.
0: Yeah. Just go drink from the toilet. That works too. Um, anyways, uh, so we're just going to jump right in. We're going to get, we're going to get nasty with it already. Um, let's talk about the latest Red Wings news. Um, We've got a lot of injuries going on right now, and it sucks. So I guess let's just dissect that real quick. We obviously have uh, Kyle Quincy, Mike Green, Brad Richards. They're all down right now. And then, you know, we have the obvious Pavel Datsuk, who, uh who is still on track to make his return in mid-November, which is... Wonderful news, uh, a sight for sore eyes right now. So I guess uh, I guess is there anything concerning? Because the report came out that Green's going to be out for two to three weeks, and that, that's concerning. That's that's kind of a that's kind of a big deal. Two to three weeks, you're not going to have a, your second pairing defenseman and one of your mainstays on the power play. Uh, albeit he hasn't been super productive so far this season. Um, you know, it's still it doesn't matter. It's one veteran that you don't have that you really need.
1: Yeah, especially like right after I feel Jeff Blashill made the change that was going to make him more productive. um, Because he had been kind of stuck on the second unit power play, which had been uh, a bit of a hodgepodge of guys. And I don't think that it had a a very good setup. Um, Meanwhile, so he like, Blashill just switched off. So it was going to be him and and another defenseman back there kind of moving it around and and really quarterbacking it more. And then, yeah, he got got hurt in that Josh Jorah shit. Um sounds like a bruised or separated shoulder although they will they won't say anything other than it's just an upper body injury but based on the hit that he took um I mean it probably wasn't much else.
2: Yeah, I mean we finally saw Cronwall and Erickson broken up and Green put with Cronwall and we were all excited that this that pairing was finally broken up and then Green got hurt.
3: And they lost. Yeah, that part sucked too. That's yeah, most in my opinion when i saw the hit live i was actually really worried that green had suffered uh, another concussion because of the way yeah it, the impact it was a shoulder to shoulder hit it was you could i guess you might be able to call it charging but i still think it was a legal hit by jurist but the impact the sheer level of impact and then green falling into the boards made me think oh no this is a concussion especially since the camera that followed him to the bench and was focused on him while he was sitting on the bench I, I thought he was kind of like staring into space and that's why he eventually got pulled out of the game and had to go to the quiet room or something like that but
1: well he had Pete working on his shoulder when they showed him on the bench too he was, uh, was... Uh, he was rubbing his shoulder down yeah I think it was uh Petrella who said it on on Twitter that he got shaken up bad those are the kind of hits that just hurt you can get knocked into stuff but when you go from you are fully moving to you are fully stopped in an instant like the full body shock yeah that that shit hurts and as far as the hit that's it's a normal hit i i think you could stretch to call it charging but they don't they never never call it like that um i think calling it charging would be uh irresponsible really it's just one of the things he's got to dodge those better because those are the kind of hits they're looking to lay on people
3: yeah And going back to the point about breaking up Cronwall and Erickson, it really looked like the entire unit for that first half of the first period looked looked great. I mean, Cronwall and Green were carrying the puck up ice. Everybody else on defense was not a complete dumpster fire, which is a nice change of pace from how it has been for a while now. And now we won't get to see that for at least a few more
1: weeks. Yeah, and then we yeah. also lost Quincy in the exact same game on a hit that I don't think was quite as clean as the uh, the Juris hit.
2: No, that was that was a brutal hit to the head, and
1: yeah, I didn't really it was...
0: see that. Honestly, I didn't get to watch that game. Um, <clears throat> I was busy that evening. I didn't go back and watch it just because it was a loss, so I didn't really want to. I didn't care.
2: Well, Quincy and Sam Bennett were going in behind the net, and Bennett basically like caught Quincy in the head with his elbow
1: Yeah, it wasn't even. Quincy and, was battling for the puck with a different Flames player, and I have no idea who that was. And Bennett came in while Quincy was reaching for the puck, and basically ran a pick on him.
0: Hmm. Yeah. So we. we I mean, we, we hate Sam Bennett now, right?
1: Yeah, he's a big piece of
0: shit. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well. Yeah. I mean, that's fine. We we can roll with that. It's
1: it's super normal because it was obviously interference. He. He, I mean, he went for the center of the body, but he kind of did pick the head a little bit because of the angle on a hit that he had no business making in the first place because it was on a player who didn't have the puck. Um, and then Quincy went down immediately. They didn't call anything. And then he stayed in the game. And then later on, we find out it's So, I I would have liked to have seen Bennett get a call from the the Department of Player Safety, but I think Quincy would have had to have sat out for the rest of the game to make that happen, and I just don't think that was going to happen. They were already down Mike Green for a big portion of the game. They were starting to struggle on defense. They were not going to go down to four defensemen because... Apparently, the concussion spotter didn't see anything wrong with the fact that he took that hit to the head and went down immediately. So it's just a whole bunch, of, a whole pile of shit that went on there that just kind of pisses me off.
3: Yeah. yeah. And you also got the Department of Player Safety wrong. They're not supposed to protect the Red Wings from players who hit their heads. They're supposed to suspend the Red Wings when they give borderline hits to the head to other players. Like they do
0: all the time. Yeah, yeah. Subtle
3: exactly. interference. Exactly.
2: <laughs> All the time. Well, that's what we right. get for having that dirty Cronwall on right. the team, I mean.
0: Yeah, I mean, well, moving into something else that uh, is a big concern, um, especially for me, is the Red Wings, call it what you want, It's, uh, it, but they are not possessing the puck like they have in recent years over the past two decades, Um their shot differential is alarming uh it's not good Uh, i think they have i'm not sure i think it's they're in the bottom five in the league right now they might even be the last team in the league right now i'm not i'm not quite sure i don't have the stats in front of me nevertheless for a red wings team with uh as much talent as it has um Bottom five is absolutely unacceptable. And we can go on and say, well, they're trying to adjust to a new system. There's a new coach in place. All new coaches. Everything's not all new coaches, but uh, for the majority, uh, you know, a new coaching staff. Um, What is going on? And I mean, they came out hot in the first three games. And I knew that they were going to bottom out because just what stats tell you with PDO and everything, uh, they were riding extremely high PDO at the time. And now it seems like they're starting to come back down to earth. I think they've only outshot a team maybe three times so far this season. Um, And it's just uh, it's it's troublesome and it's not a sustainable way to contend, um, as we've seen in past years uh, since the analytics era began. So. I mean is it something that Red Wings fans should really be concerned about right now like they should be you know I mean it, obviously not calling for heads to roll but I, I, I think it should be something that everybody is mindful of that the Red Wings just aren't shooting the puck like they usually do and uh, that also has a lot to do with all the block shots like, it seems like every shot is blocked or it, it misses the net and it's just like oh it, it, uh, man I, it's, it's driving me nuts and I mean what, what are your guys thoughts on that?
3: Well my question my first question is basically you, they've come da- back down to earth but is this really down to earth or is this just the opposite extreme from right, right. what the first 3 games were I mean I guess we have a part of our answer is that we still aren't really putting pucks on the net as much so whatever go- so we're not giving ourselves the opportunity to play sustainable winning sustainably winning hockey but I'm still wondering if this is all still in small sample size land and wondering how much we can still, we can extrapolate from it.
1: Yeah. There's a lot of things that you can't really control. Um, injuries obviously haven't helped. I mean, we, uh, we also missed out on uh, Brad Richards is is going to be out until they can find out what's wrong with his back, which just, just once I'd like to sign a veteran who makes it through a whole season playing well. Um, but I know like it's it's getting tiring. Well, you, you know the, the, playing the new system and, and the new coach and stuff like that it's it's still valid. I mean that's a that's a valid problem. the fact that their schedule has been ridiculous so far that's a valid thing. Um, but what you see on the ice is their breakout transition is still slow. they're still playing a lot like they were last year in their own zone where they would keep the opponent to the outside almost indefinitely um except they're slightly more aggressive and the opponents are finding the holes uh, a little bit better um honestly i think what most of their and i i don't have stats to back this up but i feel like most of their shots against are actually as a result of them trying to uh, force transition too much and not getting through the neutral zone cleanly so they're put, they're turning it over there and that's creating more rush shots and more rush opportunities against um the problem with the breakout and gives them problems moving through the neutral zone. It gives them problems getting into the offensive zone um, with enough space to create lanes to make passes that allow you to create more space, which allow you to take shots. So it's this whole big pile of crap that happens because they can't get out of their own zone. Um, I think one of the problems is that the forwards are trying, they're trying way too much for the home run passes. Uh, You'll see a lot of the times where it's two defensemen that have the puck on a, semi-decent breakaway, a breakout opportunity, and basically all three forwards are already on the other side of of center ice, flying towards the zone, while the opponent has that stacked up, and so it's your pass out of the zone is a forty-foot pass every time, and those are hard to hit with um, the kind of space and accuracy to get you into the zone when your opponent is stacked up in his own blue line, and so that kind of that kind of breakout creates some beautiful goals sometimes, like uh, Tamu Polkinen's the other night against Vancouver, but most of the time it just creates shit in the neutral zone that makes them have to fight back and come back and try again. Um, and it's just not working. I think they need to play a, a little bit simpler.
0: Yeah, they need to go back to basics. Seems like uh, when I said it a while ago, it seems like they're gripping the stick too hard. I mean, how many times you see them just that the, the puck gets just spit right back out of the zone because they can't sustain a, they can't set it up. They can't set up a, a true, uh, you know, threat. Uh, it seems like they're just even more low event than they were last year. And it's just, I don't know. It's, 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 I don't know. It's not fun to watch when it's going on. Like I re- legitimately, the other night when they were when they were playing against Vancouver, and um, you know before they they came back, I was just like, I can't. This is not fun to watch right now. I'm not enjoying this. Um, I think
2: it's definitely it's definitely it's definitely frustrating to watch. I did pull up the stats. The Wings are dead last in the league for um, shots allowed per game, and also um, have allowed the most shots. Um, shots against per game. But, like, what I see, kind of like what JJ was talking about, I don't feel like there are huge, um, huge problems. It's like little mistakes or little hesitations from the players that are allowing more shots against and are giving them trouble. And if they make things a little bit simpler, and I do think it's going to take them a little more time to fully be able to execute the system that Blash Hill wants. There's a lot of uh, old tendencies and habits that the players are still falling back on. And Blashill, what he wants them to do is significantly different enough that I do think it's going to take them some time to be able to execute uh, in a in a fashion that allows them to capitalize. Like it's not, you know, it's not like huge dumpster fire stuff. It's little, little tweaks here or there, change this a little bit, make this a little bit more simpler, and and I think they'll get it, which is gives me a lot of hope. And why I'm not, I mean, it sucks right now to watch them, you know, make make mistakes like that and allow so many shots against. But I don't think they're that far away from being a whole lot better.
1: Yeah, yeah I think they're not far. a bad team. They're uh, they're missing – they're not firing on all cylinders. And that's – it makes them look awful because it's it's a finesse game that they play. And it, it relies on a lot of very good timing that a lot of them just don't have right now. Um, and the, I think the Calgary game – was especially frustrating because i think that the that they just got worn down by the fact that they only had five defensemen for most of the night because of that long stretch breakout pass i thought was actually a very good idea while calgary was pushing in the third and it almost netted uh, a that thomas tatar goal or a thomas tatar goal um save for a really big stop because it was it was pushing the def- defense back. But what it feels like with that long breakout pass idea is that essentially they're trying to run play action without having established the run first, so they need to focus more on making the short breakout passes where they're moving as a five-man unit or a four-man unit with one back to... Give the, to make the defense act more aggressively, to give them more space for those long breakout passes, and I think once once all that starts to click, they're gonna they're gonna stomp on some teams. Um, I mean, one of the things I, I think a lot of I'm reading a lot of oh they've, they've never looked this bad and honestly yeah they have i mean they go through a stretch that looks this awful every freaking year and they've done that since 2007 08 when they were absolutely the best team in the league it sucks that they that they're going through it right now this early because we don't know if they're one of the best teams in the league um i'm fairly confident they're not garbage but we don't know how good they are so it's it's scary yeah
0: yeah um it, it, it's it's a little bit of a shell shock thing but i think uh we'll be i think we'll be okay man it's gonna be all right we just gotta ride those positive vibes for now bro um anyways um with the with with the injuries that are going on um Uh, I think the Red Wings, uh, the next game coming up here on the 27th. Tomorrow, tomorrow against the Hurricanes. Um, Yeah, you could tell I'm a little bit off. Um, Anyways, game again tomorrow against uh, the Hurricanes. Uh, A team that has, we've played two games, we've split, uh, haven't looked good in any of them. (laughs) They've outplayed us. Uh, We need to reinstate our dominance over this team. We need to stop playing like shit against this team. Sounds like they're going to run six D tomorrow. Do we expect any more call-ups uh, on the horizon with the uh, injuries that are going on right now?
3: Were we expecting them to play with seven defensemen? Or... I'm sorry, seven defensemen. Oh really? I did not miss. I guess I missed that news.
0: <laughs> well, no. I mean, if you have if you have uh, Quincy out and you have Green out,
1: yeah, it'll be six. Uh, you're going to be playing with six defensemen.
0: Got, they're not going to have a seven.
1: Yeah, they've got eight on the roster and only six of them are ready to go. Um, I think, was it con that reported that they were probably going to stay with the same roster so, without making any moves?
0: Yeah, I believe so.
1: So, yeah, I, I do think that's, what's going to happen for tomorrow. Um, unless something weird happens with somebody getting hurt in practice. Right. Um, but with Friday, the home and home against Ottawa. Yeah. I, I think that sometime later in the week, they're going to call up another defenseman and that will, uh, that'll involve moving Mike green to IR. Yeah. Um, since he's already going to miss two to three weeks, there's, there's no issue there. Um, Pablo on long-term, I injured reserve gives them basically all the cap room they need, but they'll need the roster room. So yeah, nice. they'll probably move green down and call. I'm guessing it'll be Woulette just cause that's, um, that's their go-to. I mean, Marchenko's already up. Yeah. Cause when um, you think
0: about it, they got the hurricanes, the senators, the senators, they do a senators on a home and home, uh, the lightning and then the Maple Leafs. Um, so that's, uh, it's a big, big, uh, big chunk of games against Eastern, Eastern, uh, Eastern opponents. A lot of them in your division, um, would be nice to gain some ground and I mean, you know, start trending the right way, especially against teams who are in your division and your conference. Um, and, uh, yeah, they might need to make a couple moves uh, to 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 uh, make sure that they have enough depth, because uh, you know, obviously, running 6-D for that stretch of games is not going to be ideal.
1: Yeah, I just don't think that they're. I, the the weird thing is that the the second game being in Ottawa the next night means that it's possible that they only carry those six healthy D without moving anybody to IR, or calling anybody up, whatever, um, until Saturday because the Griffins play on Friday. They're uh, they're playing right. the Marlies. So it's possible that they try to carry those 60 there and then make a call-up on Saturday to travel to Ottawa because it's not that big of a deal. Everybody's still kind of local. This isn't like flying Marchenko to Vancouver on a moment's notice. But even after that, if they move Quincy to IR, which they could do since they've already ruled him out for the weekend, um, at that point they're probably looking at calling – they may call up a forward because right now they only have 13 healthy forwards. They moved Richards to IR to make room to call up Marchenko. So, but I don't know if they're going to do that because they seem perfectly happy playing with uh, the rotation that they've got. And I don't think they're going to call anybody up just to be emergency forward number 14. And if they do, I don't think they're going to call up anybody we specifically want to see in the lineup.
0: <laughs> we don't need to say who.
1: Fucking like Eric Tangrady.
0: Yeah, that guy. Yeah. <laughs> um anyways um so i guess recapping the week uh they took three of six possible points in western canada um kind of disappointing don't feel like that's right <laughs> you feel like you always at least come out with four points from there you know you come out with a few wins um they didn't do that and uh it sucks it's not uh, not what we're used to so i guess uh I mean, why does... I mean, you think about the Western Canada. You have the Oilers, you have the Flames. The Flames, up until the game, were terrible. They were garbage. They still are garbage. They are not a good team. They are flawed in many ways. Then you have the Oilers getting better, starting to trend the right way with McDavid, who is incredibly talented, and I foresee myself hating him in about a year because of... Uh, just the hype and everything that surrounds him and how many commercials I see him in when I'm watching uh, different hockey games in Canada um, it's just you know it's it's you know on the heat map of the NHL it's very blue <laughs> uh, there's not a lot going on there um, and Vancouver is a team that just they've just had an awful 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 off season and uh, that just not a good team um, and we took three points we won in Vancouver in overtime and we one, or we—I'm sorry—we lost uh, against Edmonton, and then we lost in overtime against Calgary. Uh, that's not ideal. Those are points that you usually would chalk up as uh, you know easy points. But um, I don't know. I—I I, I feel like uh, how did they give us so much trouble? Was was it just us shooting ourselves in the foot, feet, or is this a new Western Canada who you know people are just starting to take for granted?
1: Um, Edmonton played a really good game against us, and I think that you yeah. can see that there was a lot of improvement there, um, especially with since they got that 3 nothing lead. Um, they sat on it a... F- very effectively, older Edmonton teams, and Edmonton still doesn't have a very good defense. But you could see uh, they've got a really good-looking structure. Um, they were consistently stacking five people up in the neutral zone and just kind of daring the Red Wings to come at them. And then when they did, Edmonton had enough speed to counterattack. I think that the the three points in six games matches really well with how the Red Wings performed as far as what they deserved. It may not have gone, like, in the order they deserved it, but essentially they played six periods of hockey. They played three good periods of hockey. The first two periods against Calgary and the third period against Vancouver. So, um, they didn't play a single good period against Edmonton. Um, so, you, yeah, you would like to assume they get the win against, uh, Calgary and then basically also steal the game against Vancouver, but, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's what they deserved, and I think it was, um, you know, combination of Vancouver really did come out, and they played well in the first two periods, and then I don't know if they took the rest of the night off or what because that was Detroit's second game of back-to-back. They should have been gassed in the third. and Basically, the the Canucks let them off the hook. Um, <clears throat> Calgary played a very Boston-like game against just, just cheap shot, dirty hit, dirty hit, just wear them down, and Detroit wore down. I don't think that there was... I don't want Detroit to necessarily play a style that is super good about fighting back at that i would just rather they play a style where they avoid those hits better um but i mean credit to calgary they they got it done we couldn't uh we couldn't slam the door on them we were just less than two minutes away from earning those two points and i thought it, w- it would have been well earned um i just i'm i'm going to be constantly troubled by the, the edmonton game
0: though yeah that was that i remember that that like that <laughs> that mcdavid goal um just, just completely left alone. Not even, not even touched. Not even accounted for. Just, just you know, flip the puck to him, and there he was, wide open. Uh, I don't care how good of a goalie Morassic is, is um, it's not going to be an easy task to overcome. Um, so, uh, and then I think with Edmonton, two of those goals uh, were absolute bullshit flute goals. I think um, the first goal, uh, what was it? I don't remember who scored it, but it went right off a skate, like. You know, it was a pass. He was trying to pass it to his stick. It hit his skate. It bounced off. It went in.
1: That was the Letestu power play goal.
0: Yes, the Letestu goal. I saw that. I remember seeing that goal, and I was like, just, I don't know. I had, like, the life sucked out of me because I was just like, that is the kind of bounce the Red Wings need to get right now. That is what the Red Wings need to have. Um, And then uh, the third goal, um, can't remember it, but I I know it was fluky because wasn't that the one where uh, it went – Quincy basically, well, I call it a flu because Quincy basically put it in his own goddamn net. So, Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was ugly. Uh, I hated it. Um, don't want it to ever happen again. Want to forget about it. Anybody else want to talk about it?
3: I don't know. I feel like three out of six points isn't that bad. The only thing that makes me really second-guess that statement is that we had two points in hand against Calgary before Mark Giordano uh, essentially sort of drew a somewhat carbon copy of his first goal, except this time it was deflected in the slot uh, on the tying goal. You know, theoretically, a good team, a playoff team will play 800 hockey at home and 500 hockey on the road. And three out of six points is exactly 500 hockey. I, I guess and I guess the other thing that sort of contributes to me not being terribly down about it is that we won the last game of the road trip as opposed to we won against Edmonton, lost the way we did against Calgary, and then lost to Vancouver. No, we lost lost against Edmonton, lost in overtime against Calgary, and then came back in pretty stunning fashion, if I have to admit, against Vancouver, because that first 40 minutes were just absolutely putrid, and then they find goals out of nowhere, and then... Peter Mrazic steps up in overtime to deliver a strike to Nyquist, and he doesn't doesn't miss.
0: Yep, pretty much. um I think it's just something we need to just kind of put behind us. Just uh let it go, as uh, the kids would say nowadays. Um, yeah, I
2: mean, the the positive takeaway from all of that, though, really is the play of Mrazic and Howard, because we you know we've talked a lot about the things that the team is struggling with, but can you I mean think about where we would be if we didn't have two very good goalies back there saving our butts on a nightly basis
3: I don't want to think about it 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 it, put, it does not put me in a good place
2: no see and then think about just how awesome like I I haven't I don't think I've ever seen a Red Wings team that has had a goalie tandem that is this good like I don't care which goalie you put in I'm I'm confident in them. Like, both of them are making incredible saves. And then you watch Mrazik, you know, like, kept us in the entire Vancouver game. Like, for through two periods, he was just, he was standing on his head, and he was beating Vancouver by himself, if that's possible. And then you get to overtime, and, you know, before OT, uh, he was standing there talking with Zetterberg and was basically telling him, like, I'll get the puck, and you watch for it, you know. I'll send it up to you, and that's exactly what we did in Nyquist. Like, not only did the kid keep us in for two periods, but then he has the assist and sends Nyquist in for the game winner in overtime. I mean,
0: yeah, it was, we uh, have goalies
2: off. that can that can change two goalies who can change the fate of games for us. Like, that's how good they are, and I'm really excited about that part.
1: Being a uh, Red Wings fan and having you know watched the team for so long, I just and shoot me in the face for saying this out loud but you know I can't get out of the back of my head that when the red when the play, the skaters start playing better then the goalies will just somehow start playing worse I hope it doesn't happen yeah
0: I'm with you on that it's in the back <laughs> of my head too trust I, me. I
1: said I said that at least a week ago <laughs>
0: yeah oh, well, well screw you all face. you guys you Joe no absolutely we are a bunch of jerks I completely agree yeah um, you
2: guys are jerks. Yeah, yeah, I,
3: I, can't, I can't argue that. I'm the worst. It's, ugh. no, no, it's the Red Wings who are jerks. Not no, Every
1: single no game. it's all my fault. They've done uh, this to us. Um, <laughs> I know they've done
0: this to us. Watch, watching them win four Stanley Cups over the past two decades has been. They've broken they, my, my, ability to trust them. It mean, pisses me off.
1: I have it on good authority. Uh, they've never had good goaltending ever. So.
0: Yeah, no, not at all. Um, ever. All of their goalies have always <laughs> been bad. Um. Anyways, playing
3: in front of great teams
0: right 19.
3: yeah behind, right, sometimes right. in front of him
1: i mean Hashik was crazy
0: yeah chris, chris osga was never a good goalie so you know it's just that's whatever he's he's an, he's an even worse report, uh commentator so oh, kind of, yeah it's They're like so it's, it's like the equivalent it's like listening to paint dry it's like it's just so boring and it's just so dry and monotone and he has such shitty opinions um so yeah i mean whatever I think he's just, uh, you know, I thought at first when he started doing it, I was like, oh, he just probably needs like a year or two uh, to, you know, get used to it. No, he's just not very good. Um, So anyways, miss you, Mickey. Uh, Wish you would do every game, but that's not something we have. I miss Mickey a lot. So we're going to talk next about uh, another team that uh, isn't playing very well with the new coach, um, and that is none other than the uh, Grand Rapids Griffins. Um, obviously, that's Michelle's uh, bread and butter right there, so she's really going to uh, she's going to uh, take the reins on this one. Um, I haven't really gotten to watch much of the, the Griffins. I watched uh, one game. I think it was the one that they won um, against uh, Charlotte. Uh, but, yeah, just not good. Looks like, eh. And just looking at the way that things are being put together, it's just not really that fun. Um, a lot of the line combinations are meh. You know, you have Eric Tangrady playing top-line minutes with uh, Andy Mealy and uh, Martin Furk, which uh, which was weird. But Martin Furk did have that two-goal game, which is really great to see. Hopefully he can uh, have a nice little season and uh, have people start believing in him, uh, myself being one. Um and then you know you just you know you don't have as good of goalie goaltending down there anymore. You don't have Peter Mrazek. Uh, you have Jared Caro, who's a great goalie. Uh, you have Thomas McCollum, who is a at best an AHL goalie. That's it. Even though you know he has one NHL win now, uh, which yeah. Anyways, um, it, things are just weird. It seems like a weird time for the Red Wings. And, uh, you know, you have that second line of uh, Athenasiou, Bertuzzi, and Mantha, which, I don't know, I have maybe I'm not paying attention to, but it, they haven't been lighting it up that much. Um, so, Michelle, I guess I'll let you talk about it. You know more about it. You watch every game, pretty much. So, um, give us your opinions. Give us your thoughts. Tell us what sucks, and tell us what's awesome.
2: Well, there's, I mean, it's definitely not uh, this, the start to the season that I was expecting, looking at the roster and, you know, knowing what this team is capable of. Uh, They had two games last week. They won one and lost the other. And they've only won one game this season. And they've lost five. So, I mean, that's not good. And I think that it being at the beginning of the season, it amplifies, you know, if you go on a four-game losing streak in the middle of the season and you're in a good position, it's kind of like, well, this happens. You know, sometimes it sucks, but whatever. But when it's at the beginning of the season – um, it makes it hard to get anything going. And I still, like I, I really don't know what to make of the team. I feel like the team itself um, is having a really hard time adjusting to Todd Nelson being the new coach. It's kind of what the Red Wings are experiencing with Blash Hill in that it's, they're being asked to do something different. And, you know, what they did consistently under Blash Hill became So natural to them. I mean, they could execute things with speed and precision. Like, I mean, it was beautiful to watch. And watching them now, it doesn't look like that. Like, they're having a hard time making the passes, and they're having turnovers and allowing lots of breakaways. It's frustrating to watch, but I can't put my finger on any like, one thing that's causing it. I just feel like the entire team as a unit um, doesn't have that cohesive identity. And then, you know, like you mentioned, Kyle, the, the player usage has been really frustrating. Um, the last two games, Nelson did finally... Keep some consistency in the lines because to start the season, it was like every game you had different forward lines. And even within each game, I think almost every game by the third period, they were all juggled up and there was no consistency whatsoever. So now you're getting consistency, but then you've got Eric Tangrady on the top line and you've got Zach Nastasiak, who's still a healthy scratch. He's only been in one game. And it's frustrating because in situations where the Griffins aren't getting any offense going, they're even, you know, they're trying to get it going and they're trying to play well, but they're not getting the goals. It seems like instead of relying on guys that are more offensive, like guys that should be getting the goals, like Double A or Mantha or Nosek, it's like I feel like the the fourth liners or you know a guy like eric tangrady is getting like more minutes like he's the guys that they're looking to to try and get something going and it's counterproductive because those are not the guys that are going to step up and and get the offense going
1: right so it sounds like and i haven't watched a single griffin shift all season under nelson uh but what you're describing sounds almost like he is preaching uh basically nothing but greasy goals is that accurate
2: that's pretty much it. And he used that exact phrase in um, a postgame interview the other night. It was greasy goals. But when you look at the roster, you have a roster of some really skilled players who can play that finesse, like just beautiful hockey. And it seems like he's trying too much to make it a you know lunch pail, greasy goal-getting team and trying to put those type of players um, in elevated positions instead of utilizing the incredible skill that he has. Like, I I just don't feel like he's um, trying to shape the team based on the assets that he has. And I I could be wrong, because it is still early, and I keep trying to give him the benefit of a doubt, but every time I watch the team, it's frustrating. Kind of like the Red Wings.
1: That is annoying. Um, I will say that from a you know, 30,000 foot view perspective that the, the potential positive out of that is if you teach these skill guys, uh, Athanasiu and, and Mantha specifically, um, okay, you're going to have this skill here, but also if you learn how to add the greasy goals, that's going to take you to another level. Um, and it's going to take a little while to kind of get that combination of, of skill and, and grease that they're, that they're looking for. Um, but yeah, that's going to suck to watch. I, Worked really I, I well for it's... Tomas Yurko. <laughs> <sighs> oh,
2: yeah. But I don't, like, you know, the the guys, you know, like Double A, it's not that he doesn't know how to get greasy goals. I just feel like it is trying to put him, you know, and the other guys into into a, a box that doesn't, you know, isn't where their natural talent lies. Like, you know, greasy goals are great, but if you can score skilled, beautiful goals, do it. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, uh, I'll tell you, I, I hate greasy goal hockey. I... <laughs> I know that that makes me a bad fan in, in some people's eyes, and I know that it it's kind of saying bad things about Tomas Holmstrom because he was like a Greasy Gold champ. But I don't think, but he was a piece that added to a skilled team, uh, a very necessary part of that. I don't want an entire team playing like like him, other than how hard he worked and how great of a teammate he was, and all the the grit, hard, intangible stuff. I do want that, of course. Uh, it's just, yeah, I I hate Greasy goal hockey. It's boring
2: yeah so I mean there are a few players that have that have stood out despite the losses and not getting getting the offense and when I watch each of the games I kind of make a list like who who stood out good or who stood out bad and when I compare my lists they so far this season have looked pretty similar and it's it's awesome to see Anthony Mantha right up there like every game even though he's got a a goal and an assist on the season so far but he's playing well and I mean, that's awesome to see. He's playing with confidence, and I'm seeing him do kind of all those little things that the coaches have been preaching to him over the last year.
0: Right, yeah. Um, uh, You know, like I said, I haven't really gotten to watch them, but it seems like they're just uh, playing uh, a broken system right now, and um, maybe they're just adjusting like the Red Wings are. Um, It's a big transition for the organization, that's for sure. Um, You know, and that's just... Something that we're all going to have to try and be, be comfortable with for the time being. Uh, we can still be mad about it, but, you know, we have to just understand and uh, trust that things are going to get better from here. And if they do get worse, um, then, uh, yeah, blow it up. Everything sucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> salt right? Yeah, just burn it all, salt the earth, and, uh, you Burn
3: know. it first, then salt it.
0: Right, of course. Yeah. Um, so, I guess, uh, next question is here. Um, I mean, the Griffins could get better. I mean, maybe they don't have a good season this year. Uh, whatever. Um, I mean, you want to see them do good, because it does better for development, but... Um... We could see some new faces there. You know, Axel Holmstrom is one of them. He'll likely be in the AHL next year. Um, granted, if he doesn't make the the big club, um, which, you know, probably not going to happen. But uh, we said that this time last year for Dylan Larkin and look at him now. So, um, you know, he'll be there. Uh, there will be uh, – you'll have Joe Hicketts. He'll probably move up to the uh, AHL level by then. I don't know if I'm missing anybody else. Uh I don't think Svechnikov or Sarajaravi will be... I think they'll still have one more year of eligibility with their junior clubs. I'm not sure. I don't know how that I, whole stupid deal works. I think Hickets
2: could come to Grand Rapids next year.
0: I think he can because I think he's going to be too old to play in the WHL.
1: Um, I could be wrong. He is,
2: he's 19 now. He turns 20 in May.
1: What's the cutoff? See. So Uh, I believe that makes him eligible to play as overage in the WHL, but uh, it means that, and I I could be wrong on this, I think that it means that they cannot compel him to return. I think they can only compel 18- and 19-year-olds. Right. Yeah, I think that's the
2: case, and I don't see any reason for him to go back for his 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 overage year. I'm
0: sure sure the organization is going to want to get him into the system immediately um, and get him going because, you know, uh, not only do the Griffins need it, but uh, I think Hicket's uh, the kind of player that he is. He's just going to need to start developing at the pro level. Um, you know, you'll have Holmstrom, um, and then you'll start seeing movements with uh, other players. Uh, a lot of the players who have blended in um, to the Euro prospects. Um, a guy like Valatello, uh, who is having himself a great season in Finland right now. Um, and then uh, I, I don't think you'll see those guys nearly soon just because they're Euro prospects and uh, there's really no deadline. We can just kind of hold on to them, I believe, right? Is that how it works for Euro prospects? There's no deadline. You just sign them when you sign them? Do, um, you, do you always hold the rights to them or until they reach a certain age?
1: I think it runs pretty similar to how uh, NCA rights. I mean, you'll lose okay. them eventually if you don't sign them. But
0: right. okay. by that time you um, get to the
1: point, you'll know whether or not you'll
0: want them okay yeah of course um so they have a few good prospects there it seems so i guess uh you know if we don't have any other griffins thoughts um which i I guess maybe we we should just cover one more thing uh with the griffins and that's the defense um you know, obviously, they have a lot of veterans on that team, and uh, it's not that great. <laughs> it's actually kind of painful. But, uh, you know, the, you, you have the guys like Sp- – you have your Ryan um You have your Xavier Ouellette. You have Marchenko. He's not there right now. And then you have Russo, who is, like, the new guy. So you have these three prospects, and then you have Jensen. I'm sorry. I always forget about Jensen. It's, it's, everybody does for some reason. Jensen yeah, so Ken Holland. Yeah, Ken Holland, uh, <laughs> mainly. Um, <laughs> it's just – it seems like they're in kind of an awkward situation there because they have so many prospects who are right shooters, and then most of the left shooters, aside from Xavier Roulette, are you know you know the left shooters are veterans. So it seems like kind of awkward. So you kind of find this lefty righty um, structure, and um, you don't you know you see a guy like uh, uh, who who usually sits uh, Michelle.
2: Uh, it's been Russo.
0: Okay, yeah, I figured when, be Russo once, to, to be, be the odd man out, uh, just because yeah. you have a left, right, you have uh, uh, you know you have Jensen, you have uh, Marchenko, which they don't have right now. You have Jensen, you have Sproul, and then you have uh, uh, usually you know you'd have Marchenko too. So um, it's kind of a yeah, weird I, situation there. It,
2: it it's kind of awkward because when you watch like the individual defensemen, um, nobody stood out to me as bad. You know, and like Nick Jensen has been really good. that has been really good. Even Ryan Spruel has been better than I expected. Uh, tidbit, he actually leads the team in points right now, which is yeah, great I know, I for him, but really bad, really bad for the team. <laughs> But, um, individually, like nobody has stood out as really bad. They're not playing terrible defense, but as an entire unit, there's some weakness there. And I think that part of that is because they're being asked to play a different role and play differently than they were under Blashill. Like, you know, we're seeing the Red Wings defensemen are going to take some time to learn to play Hill system, the guys in Grand Rapids are having to play differently as well. You know, they're used to being able to jump up more and having forwards cover. And, you know, we always say Blash Hill activates the defense and it was, the, his entire system is predicated on speed and getting the puck out of your own zone and moving it through your own zone and the neutral zone quickly. And that relies a lot on the defensemen. But they're having to do it a little differently now. And I think they're getting caught. You know, they've allowed numerous odd man rushes. And I think part of that is, is the system that Nelson is running, they can't be quite as aggressive as they're used to being. And when they're still being aggressive, but the rest of the system doesn't support that, then they're getting caught. So I think that like they're still, as a, as an entire unit, trying to adjust and they're falling back on their, their default habits and what they've been doing for the last couple years. And it's not working in this system and they're getting caught. That's the way I see it. Because when I, when I look at them on an individual basis, they're actually playing well. It's just this whole, like, I, I feel like the entire team is just this, it's, it's a mess, Right. but I hope, th- I hope that they can pull out of it. And I, and I think a lot of it has to do with you know the coaching and and system changes
0: right well yeah i i agree with you and uh i guess we can just uh go ahead and move into uh um you know your weekly prospect uh, report michelle uh, where you talk about the prospects who aren't in the ahl level a lot of the ones who uh we don't get to see on a day-to-day basis we just hear about them on twitter and all that stuff so uh we'll just let you take that away all right uh have fun and uh enjoy the this week's version of michelle's prospect report
2: In Toledo, Merrick DeVerdin has three goals and four points in two games after being sent down from the Grand Rapids Griffins. In just those two games, he's racked up enough points to be second-leading points-getter on the team despite playing half as many games. Jake Patterson's alternated starts so far in net with Jeff Lurg in Toledo. In two games, he has one win and one loss. He has a .928 save percentage and a 2.52 goals against. Saturday night, he made 38 saves on 39 shots in a 2-1 win. The Walleye are now 2-1-0 and 1 on the season. The Flint Firebirds lost both their games this week, and Vili Sarajarvi picked up an assist in their loss on Thursday. And Saturday was the first time this month that he hasn't registered a point, just the second time this season. With his 14 points in 11 games and his continued all-around great play, Sarajarvi continues to make waves and impress. One of the things that continues to stand out to me is how many shots he's taking, especially for a defenseman. He's taken a total of 38 shots in the 11 games, so it comes out to an average of three and a half shots per game. For a guy in the back end, that's a huge contribution to the team. Despite not picking up a point in the loss on Saturday, he's still fourth in OHL assists, first in defenseman scoring, second on his team in points, and first on his team for defenseman points. I'm very excited that I'll be making the trip to Flint on Halloween to watch this kid play live. Over in the QMJHL, Adam Marsh had a good week, registering a hat trick and picking up four points in three games. That hat trick is the second of his QMJHL career. Evgeny Svechnikov picked up three goals in three games and was the second star in a 4-1 win Friday night. After going four games at the beginning of the month without registering a point, he's now on a four-game point streak and has six points in those four games. The Subway Super Series rosters were also announced last week, and Evgeny Svechnikov made Team Russia. In the Western Hockey League, Joe Hicketts and the Victoria Royals ended a four-game losing streak on Saturday with a 3-0 win. Hicketts picked up an assist and the that's the only point that he registered in three games last week. He's still eighth in defenseman points in the Western Hockey League and is tied for first on his team in points. Hicketts will also be playing in the Subway Super Series, representing Team Canada on the WHL team. Somebody needs to call 911 because center Dominic Turgeon is on fire. After a slow start to the season, he's now up to 12 points in 11 games, and he has 10 points in his last five games. The biggest thing Dom and the Wings wanted to see from him this year was more offense. He's always been the defense. Offensive-minded center, and that part of his game has never been in question. But they wanted to see more offense from him, and he's doing just that. With six goals in 11 games so far, Turgeon is already at one-third of his previous career high in goals, and looks to blow all of his previous offensive numbers out of the water. This could be a big year for him. Across the pond in the Swedish Hockey League, Axel Holmstrom still having difficulty getting a goal. He has seven assists now in 13 games and is still searching for his first goal of the season. After his offensive explosion last year. It's a little bit surprising that he hasn't gotten a goal yet. But in a pre-game interview last week, translated by Zeb over at Habs Eyes on the Prize, Holmstrom said, he said sometimes it goes your way and sometimes it doesn't. And right now I'm in a period where things seem to be going against me. But it's good to get into a bit of headwind. It's never fun, but I'd rather have it at the start of the season than in the playoffs. I'll try to work it out. With the skill that this kid has and the determination and the work ethic and how much he loves playing the game of hockey, I have no doubt that he's going to work through this. We'll be watching for his first goal of the season any day now. And I have a feeling once he gets that first one, they're going to start coming much more frequently. And that's what's going on in the world of Red Wings prospects.
0: Thank you, Michelle. As always, it's a uh, very informative. Always enjoy listening to the prospects guru banter on. Uh, good times. So we're going to talk about one prospect that uh, Michelle actually didn't cover. Uh, when I say we... Uh, I mean, Michelle and Joe. Uh, James DeHaas, uh, defensive prospect. Don't know much about him. I did have him in the top 15, um, which a lot of people weren't very happy with me over. Uh, That's okay, because I'm a jerk. That's fine. I'm a blogger. I'm right. You're wrong. Whatever. Um, So, yeah, uh, Michelle, Joe, why don't you guys uh, talk a little bit about that?
2: All right. Yeah, James DeHaas, um, he's an exciting prospect for me, but he's also, you know, being away in college, it's a lot easier to overlook uh, college prospects because they usually don't get as much uh, hype and attention, and they're kind of out of sight, out of mind. Especially Um, when they go to a
3: place like Clarkson University.
2: Right, and, you know, many people may be going, Clarkson, where's that?
1: Um, Is that where you study... um, like criminal water bottle justice? Yeah, no.
2: That is exactly I... it. Very good, JJ. <laughs> <laughs> um, De Haas is a junior at Clarkston this year. Um, Joe, can, can you kind of give us an idea um, how you've seen, because you, you, you are able to watch him. Uh, you follow the college hockey very closely. Um, kind of tell us about how his role and responsibilities um, have increased this year and, and what you've seen from him.
3: So at the beginning of the year, he was paired with the Clarkson captain, Paul Geiger, and they essentially formed what could probably be construed as the top pair. Um, Most college hockey lineup sheets indicate, I will indicate, okay, these guys are, these are your forwards, these are your defense pairings. uh They're not the greatest indicators of where guys are actually going to be slotted, but I think in the case of Geiger and DeHaz, that was comfortably the top pair at the beginning of the season. They won their first two games against RIT and Niagara. Then the following Friday against Merrimack, they got obliterated 7-1. to at that point, Geiger and Haas were split up, and I think that might have happened because they coach, Casey Jones, paired Haas with Terrence Amorosa, who was not in some games. For what reason, I don't know. Injury news, scratch news, that's very difficult to come by in the NCAA ranks. But it could be a situation where, I th- I th- I'm more inclined to think it's a situation where Geiger and DeHaz were split up so that way the defense pairings could have more depth. Uh, Haas is still pretty much the quarterback of the power play. He's playing in all situations. He's uh, The quote that I have that I've been using from his head coach for a, lo- for a while now is that James has made significant progress this year with his overall game away from the puck and has started to emerge as a player that can consistently impact games offensively. That's become very apparent at the start of this season. DeHaas has already started to run away with the team lead in points. He has seven points in six games, one goal, six assists. Uh, That's three points clear of the next defenseman, which is Paul Geiger and Kelly Summers. Kelly Summers is a prospect for the Ottawa Senators. Uh, DeHaas's seven points are tied for second on the team with two other forwards, and they're only one point behind the team leader. One of the more eye-popping stat to me is that he leads the entire team in shots on goal. Not just the defenseman, but he leads the entire team, including the forwards, in shots on goal with 20 in six games. In terms of responsibilities, I think the being put, uh, split from Geiger means he'll probably go back to second pair duties. Uh, he was pretty he was pretty capably handling them last season. It'll be great to see him dominate them this season, and maybe see a jump in responsibility as the season goes along. Either way, Clarkson is benefiting benefiting greatly from it. They're currently five one and o in six games. Uh, And I think next on the schedule, yeah, they're about to start conference play in ECAC hockey against the Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute Engineers. So, yeah, that'll be a lot of fun.
2: That's a mouthful. Um, So you went over, you know, a lot of his his offensive stats, which are are great. And sometimes it takes a little bit of context because, you know, like we're used to hearing with prospects, um, like in the CHL, putting up ridiculous numbers. but you know, put in the context of, of his peers and the NCAA for, for a defenseman to be um, putting up, you know, that many points and especially taking that many shots, as you mentioned. I mean, he's 20 shots in six games. That's for, for a defenseman. That's pretty incredible. Um, what have you seen from him, though, on the defensive side? Um, is, is the offense coming at the expense of playing his own zone?
3: No, I don't think the offense is coming at the expense of his defense. Uh, I did see a few like more miscommunication type issues with his defense partner and in, uh, in Geiger. is not real. He's not. He's very solid. He's very solid in his positioning. Uh, he can be pretty good at recovering. Although when he does recover, he does tend to use his stick more than try to get back into his into position. Uh, it's something that I think he. I think he's definitely. He's definitely made a lot of progress. Since especially since his freshman year, uh, it's but it's definitely it's, but it's not one of those things where he's taking all these offense. He's not a Justin Schultz where he's taking all these offensive chances at the expense of abandoning his position.
2: Gotcha. So kind of making the smart decision um, and not really, um, not really giving up a yeah. whole lot. Which I mean yeah. is is pretty good to hear. Yeah.
3: And the thing is, uh, as far as I can tell, I haven't really been able to see. Uh, very good split stat organization. Uh, Maybe this information is out of there and I just haven't been able to find it. But my inclination is that he probably has such a large volume of shots on goal because, like I said, he is the quarterback on the power play and he might be taking a lot of shots on the power play. Uh, There's no real way I can verify that outside of Going back and watching games and manually tallying them myself, but I think that could also be contributing to why he has he's been such a force on in the offensive zone.
0: Right. Okay. Um, hey. It's it's good to hear uh, about this prospect about these prospects who uh,
3: people don't really get to see much of.
0: Um, and uh, yeah, and the thing well,
3: is, and the thing with DeHaas that has me excited personally is that. He was drafted in two thousand twelve, and he was very much the long term project. He didn't attend Clark. He didn't uh, attend Clarkson until two thousand thirteen for his freshman year, and he was pretty solid in his freshman year. You know, four freshman defensemen, but his his biggest jump was last year during his sophomore season. and it's been really exciting to see how his game has progressed year to year. And it's been really exciting to see that he has shown this kind of improvement year over year. It's one of the, I, I've used this phrase before that he may not have been on the radar before, but he's definitely put himself on the map. He's definitely made himself noticed. He's definitely created a potential NHL future for himself where he might, he might not, he might have been an extremely long shot right when he was drafted
2: yeah th- I
0: definitely agree good stuff um, well I, I think
3: uh, we talked uh,
0: quite a bit about prospects um, which is always fun everybody wants to hear about prospects um, so I think what we're going to do now um, I'm going to hand it over to JJ uh, our fearless leader my darling prince uh, we're going to let him do reader questions JJ why don't you go ahead and uh, rifle off what the people want to know
1: alright JJ time you ready for this uh, we a, uh, am i ever ready
3: for reader questions
1: yes no yeah you're constantly ready you talk about it all the time from anaheim uh at any rate there was a uh a glut of questions a theme to the questions really uh, about two topics that i want to go over uh heavily before we get to the the real the more hard-hitting stuff um Let's talk about our uh, Tomas, Yurko, and Temu Pokenin feelings. I guess we should start... I want to start with Yurko. Um, and the fact that he's not in the lineup. Uh, Jeff Blashill said that he believed... They've got a long-term plan for Yurko, and he uh, he believes Yurko's got another level, and he's basically just not skating at the level that, that Blashill wants him at. Um, but he's got, you know, world of confidence. I speculated earlier that... Um, it may have something to do with Yurko had back troubles at the end of last year. It actually took him out of the world championships. Um, when he signed his two year deal this summer uh, he basically said in a foreign language interview that it, it was a two year deal because ba- because essentially he, he, uh, he wanted to work back towards something this year before uh, basically his, his next contract year. Um, not so sure it's actually his back bothering him and not just his skating actually being bad. I mean, his last game was um, the loss to Carolina, which was uh, brutal all around. The whole team played like shit, but he played especially bad. So what do we feel about about Yurko? I don't well, know. Well, uh, I'm
3: actually putting quick hits together as we speak, and I found this little nugget from Khan updated 7.04 p.m. today says notes Blashill said they'll look at potentially getting Tomas Yurko in the lineup Tuesday uh I actually would like to see that because I know he was pretty terrible in the in that game you were mentioning and he if you were to go off of last season he hasn't necessarily warranted another look per se especially for a team that's been struggling on offense but I just think there are a couple guys in the lineup that I would prefer Tomas Yurko in over and I would like to give him the chance to struggle a bit more before pulling him out again and saying, "Okay, he's actually not contributing to the team right now. He's actually an active hindrance. This is not just a one off situation. We need to figure we need to find figure out something else.
2: Yeah, I mean, Yurko, I'm I'm still pretty high on Yurko. And he, he has a lot of skill and a lot of ability. And there's still a lot of potential that I believe he's going to reach there. And, okay, so, you know, Blashell made the comments. And it, it does sound like there was something going on with his skating. There was something else besides the back injury. And, and maybe it was lingering from conditioning over the summer from the back injury. That I don't know. But I want to see him... If if he puts as much into playing an offensive game that Blashill will have been playing as he did into being forced into this grinding role by Mike Babcock last year, like there's so much that he can accomplish, and I would much rather have him in the lineup than Yoka Anderson or Luke Glendening. Even I would I would not hesitate to sit Glendening. Um, there's still so much that Yuriko can do And it's frustrating You know to see him as A healthy scratch Because he had that one bad game But I mean last year you can't really I don't put much stock in his um, You know offensive numbers From last year There was It was complete horseshit The role that he was playing The minutes that he had the His ridiculously low shooting percentage Everything just I throw last year away for him It means nothing to me It's dead
0: Yeah, I mean, it's he's been put in a bad situation with the with the checking role. Um, They essentially wanted him to be Hosa, and he's not going to be Hosa. I don't know. Was Hosa
2: ever put on a fourth line and told to be no? But they they want
0: him to be because Hosa is like a I don't know. You know, he plays that he has a snarl to his game plays top six minutes but he plays physical and he plays you know he battles for the puck and you know that's that's what they're trying to develop him into and i get it but it didn't work um sure but
2: that wasn't that wasn't something that yurko was shitty at to begin with like
0: i know but it's just my it it, it didn't work out and it just whatever i mean hindsight is 2020 i think that uh if he wants if he's gonna get minutes um he's gonna have to earn them uh, you know, and if he's not feeling 100% with his back, and he shouldn't be playing hockey right now. Um, if Blashill doesn't feel like his skating is up to par, then he, I, I trust Blashill. Then sit him. Make him get better. And that's that. I don't want some player who, like, you know, Blashill is just like, well, I don't feel too confident in his skating right now. It just seems like, all right. So, um, I don't know. If he plays tomorrow, then great. Um, I'm, I'm excited to see him. I hope he, he bounces back, by all means. But, um, you know, I just you got to see something from him. He's got to make, make best out of what he's given.
1: It sounds like we're all in, in agreement that Babcock has essentially, um, he tried something with Yurko that maybe hasn't worked. Although I'll, I'll argue to to the death that Yurko actually is very good defensively. He is uh, a very good back checking winger. Um, it's just, it, it might've broken him offensively for a little while. It's going to take a little while to, to reprogram that. Um, I've seen the the L words lazy thrown around about him which I just don't get he got into 63 games under Jeff under Mike Babcock I don't at, at age 22 I mean, remember he's still a year younger than Polkin is too um, I don't think that lazy should ever be used to describe that kid um, just no. snake bitten works uh, all sorts of and, and it'll take time and I uh, Kyle got brought up a good point if you know, yeah, you got to trust Blashill here. Blashill has worked with Yurko before. He knows if Yurko is coming off a bad back or anything, all of that stuff, then yeah, don't force it. He did get in two games where he was given an opportunity to play on a scoring line, on more of a scoring line, and he didn't exactly grab the bull by the horns. So it's a long term plan. It's a two year deal. There's there's no point in, in doing anything rash right now. You're not going to save any money by. Um, by trading him you're not gonna you're not gonna get him through waivers so yeah just be patient get him into games when you can um definitely i would play him over glendening right now i know glendening is a fan favorite um kyle i hate to offend you but glendening has not played well. he has not played well this <laughs> no, it's okay nobody <laughs> especially the third line winger role um yeah, that bad. line of, of helm shahan glendening was just bad um yeah. I don't. So, and I don't just your yeah. all-centers dream was crushed. I know, right? It was, <laughs> no, I mean, all good centers. That's that's the thing. Okay, so I think we're uh, we're in a good place. Now, Taimu Polkinen, this is – I, I kind of want to deal with my feelings here because I don't know how exactly or, or why I feel this way. He's got four goals, which is tied with Justin Ablikator for the team lead. He is actually the top forward on the team as far as um, Corsi percentage in slightly easier third line, essentially, uh, competition, but still. Um, but I'm not in love with the guy, and I don't know why. There's a lot of people who are like that they really don't like him. They're just tired of him. They're constantly tired of him. Um, this was right before he scored that first goal against Vancouver. Just so tired of Tamu Bulkanan. Why is that happening, Michelle?
2: Um. I think that it's happening because Timu Polkanen is a bit of, there's a bit of illusion when it comes to him. He's not a fancy player. You know, some guys, when they're on the ice, you know, like Pavel Datsuk, they wow you. You notice them every time they're on the ice. You're drawn to them. They're doing something. You notice everything that they do. Timo Polkanen isn't that type of player. And he's the same way in Grand Rapids. Sometimes he'll go several shifts, and if you're not particularly watching for him, you might not notice him. It's not a bad thing. Doesn't mean he's doing anything wrong. It just means that he isn't. He hasn't scored a goal. Basically, that's what he does. He's not usually going to make flashy plays or stick handle and deke. He shoots and he scores. That's what he does. And I think it's really easy, um, you know, if you watch a game, if he didn't if he didn't score a goal and you get to the end of the game, you might go, oh, Timo Polkinen was playing because you maybe didn't notice him because he didn't do a whole lot um, to draw your attention. But I think that actually benefits him because he's kind of, it, it's to his benefit when he goes unnoticed on the ice because... He's looking for shooting and scoring opportunities. You know, he's looking for the open space. He's looking for chances to rip one-timers or get wristers off. And I feel like that's, you know, he's an easy player to not notice or to to feel like he's not doing a lot because his primary role is to score goals. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, four in eight games is, is doing it, although two of those were deflections and one of them was uh, gift wrap to him, but who cares? Your job is put in the net. You get the opportunity to put in the net. Um, Joe, what do you think it might be that, uh, that's getting Polkinen so much, so much crap? Mm
3: -hmm. I don't know. I mean, I guess people don't like goals or people, (laughs) I mean, you, you, you look at all the goals, Alexander Ovechkin scores and people still find a way to complain about him. Um, you know, Four goals in eight games is nice and if it were to be stretched out over a floor full season it would be a 40 goal season which the red wings have not had a player score 40 goals in what was it the last one Hossa?
1: so it? yeah
3: yeah last one was hosa then uh, on a team that's struggling to produce offense it becomes even more imperative that polkanen should stay on this team if he's going to keep producing like that um uh, I wish I could tell you what is driving the kind of attitude that some people might have about him. I don't want to simplify it too much in saying something like they wonder what he does away from the puck or they think that or they want him to contribute in some way other than to score goals, but if he's going to he, he the, the the game the name of the game is to score goals, so if you have a player that's going to keep doing that for you, then put him, keep putting him in positions where he's going to try, keep winning you games like that.
1: Yeah, right on. And Kyle, uh, Joe brought this up. I want to to hand it over to you to to kind of run with uh, the Ovechkin comparison. The guy who scores a lot, but um, you hear it about OV constantly is defensive liability. Um, what does that mean? Is is Polkinen actually a liability on the ice?
0: You know, I've never really stopped and noticed him being a liability um i mean maybe he's not the best two-way player in the world i think it's i don't know i it, it, i've never really i haven't really noticed him on a play where i'm just like Polkin and you should have had that guy Polkin and you should have you know it's the only complaints i've ever had about Polkin and so far this season is that you should have shot the fucking puck dude like you should have shot it there why why not shoot it like i remember it was against um i think it was edmonton might have been vancouver where he had the puck uh, he went through the sl- like right 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 under the slot uh, through the circle, and he was right out in front of the net, uh, like literally right out in front of the net. Uh, it was on his weak side though, but he just passed it. and I was like, why not backhand it in? Why not just try I that backhand that in? Just give it a shot? You have to do that.
3: Um, Only Glenn Dennis get backhand goals? Yeah, you,
0: you don't get you don't get opportunities like that in the NHL very often. Um, But I I don't know. I mean, he's not really put into a situation, in my opinion, where he needs to be like super strong two way player. I think they have definitely done a good job at keeping his uh, his zone starts, uh, you know, a lot of starting a lot of his shifts in the offensive zone, um, not playing against hard, tough competition. Um, But, you know, I mean, so far this season, the whole team has kind of been a defensive liability. So, you know, whatever. Um, maybe he is a defensive liability and everybody else is just kind of not playing that well. So it seems he just kind of blends in. I don't know.
1: Um, it be, but yeah, for a defensive liability, he is a plus two, which is third on the team right now. So, um, I, I guess I'm not seeing that. Um, yeah. and, And like you said, it's, he's a goal scoring winger. Um, playing defense is already not high on a lot of wingers responsibilities. I mean, I know we just talked about how Yurko does that. We know that, uh, that a lot of the, the wingers will get back, but it's his job to get the puck up ice and, and score goals. And yeah, I, I do think that he's been taking a little bit too much time to, uh, to shoot, um, that big windup. He's not getting a lot of opportunities for that. So he needs to do better on the shot selection, but it just feels like criticizing a scoring winger for defense for not playing defense is like criticizing a defenseman for not forechecking checking or criticizing a goalie for being bad at faceoffs. It's not his job. Um, he hasn't been terrible at covering the defensive point at the top of the zone. Um, I do think that, and this is the one thing that I, I think it's, it's the reason why, despite the fact that I know that he's doing the job that he's supposed to be doing, I'm not super in love is that he's, I think that he needs to get a little bit better at creating, um, zone entries. There's, it just seems like a lot of times he's getting stopped up at the blue line and not pushing around the defenseman and very well. Um, but that's, uh, that's a minor thing, especially considering against Vancouver. He essentially turned what should have been a pass into one-on-two coverage into a breakaway because he took that pass, and he was facing backwards. The defenseman was already skating backwards, just covering him, and there's no way he should have been able to do this. But he turned and picked up speed in the middle of the turn and got around the Vancouver defenseman to create that breakaway that he scored the, the first goal of the game on uh, for the Red Wings. And that was... A fantastic play. You do not see people make that play a, a whole lot, and that's that's just something that you can't really teach. So he's he's doing his job. I just I don't know what it's going to take for me specifically to be like Gaga over him, like I have been over say Tatar. And I, I it's not fair, and I know it's not fair, but I mean it is what it is.
2: Yeah, I think like he, Polkinen doesn't have the excitement that you see, you know, with a guy like Tatar. He he plays a much more Simple game, and when you when you talk to him, you know in interviews too, and you can ask him all sorts of questions, and it always comes down to I you know you know I I like scoring goals. I I shoot the puck and I score goals, but that's literally like that is his philosophy on the ice is he shoots the puck and he scores goals, and it I think that it gives the illusion of being simplistic. And I've heard a few people throw out you know is he a one dimensional player? Well, no, but if his one dimension is scoring goals. Hell yes, I'm going to take it. Like, I I think that there's that illusion, like, that he's a, you know, a simple player because, quote unquote, all he does is score goals. But, I mean, that's the point. I mean, we could really use more goals.
1: Yeah, that's like the best dimension to have if you're only going to have one.
2: right yeah, I mean, i I don't know. i think I think there's I think that he's a different type of player than we as Red Wings fans are accustomed to seeing and having. You know, there's been such a philosophy with all of our players that they have to be, you know, really good defensively too. And you know, like Pavel Datsu kind of sets the the standard for that, you know, the Selkie winner. But not every player is going to be like that. But that's not a bad thing. And the way that Jeff Blashell is using Polkanen is more the way that he should be used. And it's playing to his strong points, which is scoring goals and being offensive. And as long as he's. Go ahead, sorry. It's just going to say as long as he's utilized in that way with the expectation of, okay, you know, let me put you on a line with a good defensive center and, you know, another winger and let Polkinen be, you know, the guy that's that's looking for the offense. Blashell always said um, in Grand Rapids that. Polkanet had to make sure that he was anticipating, not cheating. And, you know, by that, he means anticipating offensive opportunities. You'll see Polkanet a lot of times almost, I, I picture it like a shark on the outside edge, like waiting for his opportunity, waiting for his teammates to feed him the puck, because not every player. A lot of players can get the opportunities that Polkanen has and can get the chances to shoot the puck, but a lot of them can't bury pucks like Polkanen does. Like, it sounds easy, like, oh, all you had to do was shoot the puck. Well, yeah, but it went in the net. And we've seen a lot of Red Wings players, like maybe Darren Helm, for example, who get a lot of opportunities but can't bury the puck. Like, that is that is a really good skill to have, and not every player can capitalize on those opportunities like Polkanen does
1: anticipate don't cheat is a great line um i wonder if we would have been as critical of brett hull doing all of the stuff that tamu balkanen does had he not come to the team already being an nhl great because that's was it was brett hull's job too i mean he didn't show up until it was time to score a goal and that he was all over the damn place so you gave him a defensively responsible center and a a good winger that can do basically what thomas tatar can do um and then you you just let him go out and do that so all right let's get to the uh the other questions
3: before you move um, on, uh, okay. going back to what you said earlier, uh, a goalkeeper take, taking a face off is against the rules.
2: <laughs> Way to go, JJ. Trying to get us into trouble. Shut up, Joe. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys for helping me work through my Taimou Polkinen feelings. Um, Dread 12 wants to know, uh, favorite Halloween costume? What do you think? Hot dog. Hot dog's a good one. Okay. I really like the year that I was Dr. House once. All right. Oh. Did you have the cane and limp and everything? Cane, limp, pill bottle. Were you a dick to everybody whose door you went to? Uh, pretty much. Good, good, good. You gotta live up to it.
0: I've never gone to a house for a doctor, but I don't know why you would have a house like, as a doctor. But okay. Michelle, what about you?
2: I I really don't have one. I have never enjoyed dressing up for Halloween. I know that sounds crazy, but
1: spoil sport.
2: I, I mean, I've dressed
1: up before, but I don't really enjoy it either. <laughs> well, I was going to go as an aerosol T-bone once, but I realized that would have been a uh, mistake. Boo! Yep. Uh, That'll do. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, favorite and least favorite Halloween candy, and everybody's already says candy corn is garbage, which is
0: candy corn the truth is the worst. Uh, best is probably uh, Peanut Butter Cup. Strong call. Fruity, yeah. fruity Tootsie
1: Rolls. Gross. Uh, there's like two of those that are... No, I mean, they're good. It's it's like the one time a year that you can have Fruity Tootsie Rolls and not be weird.
3: <laughs> what?
1: <laughs> oh, man. Jared, you see Get somebody my... eating Fruity Tootsie Rolls in April and it's like, that's a weird person.
0: All the Fruity Tootsie Rolls that are in existence right now were manufactured in 1913. So... Whatever.
2: No, you know I'm what's bad alive. is those um like black and orange individually wrapped gooey.
1: Exactly. Candy I was face. gonna say that is the worst. Those are so shit. They're
2: they anybody that gives those out, just quit. I'm I'm gonna send you flaming dog poop because those are disgusting.
3: Better hot.
1: that's yeah. better Halloween treat. Give me broken <laughs> glass over those. Uh the best I don't is, even The best is, is actually it's M and because 'cause they're so good and you cannot hide um, razor blades inside them. <laughs> okay.
2: Challenge accepted.
1: Yeah, do that. Uh, let's see, let's see. Uh, Yurko question, Vulcan in question. This is fascinating stuff, I know. Uh, a lot of people are oozing about how awesome Jensen is and that he should be above Marchenko and XO in our current roster. Uh, Michelle, what are your thoughts on Jensen and review on our defensive depth chart?
2: Um, J- Jensen is really good, and I struggle with where he falls on the depth chart because I can't definitively say that he should be ahead of Willett and Marchenko, but I also don't feel comfortable saying that he should be below both of them. Um, The variable factor here is that we haven't seen him yet play in an NHL game. And I think that's where a lot of the uncertainty comes from is just not knowing, but Jensen is he's an NHL defenseman I mean he has he has the skills and he has the smarts and I mean even the brief look that we got in the preseason he was really good he's he has a lot of skill he's has great speed and mobility and he makes the right plays and if he makes a mistake defensively he's really efficient and quick about recovering from it like I I think that Ouellette will probably get the call up over him and I think that a lot of that is just going to come down to the fact that Ouellette has played up in the NHL Fair and enough. Jensen hasn't but man this kid is good
1: alright our uh, our resident uh, lightning goaltender Ben Bishop LGRW uh, basically <laughs> one the gist of his, his question is essentially what's Larkin gotta do to win the Calder
0: score more points than Max Domi just Domi <laughs> because yeah, I think Domi's gonna win it. That kid's insane. He's a freaking nature.
1: McDavid's been on fire since that slow start. Yeah,
0: but Domi, Domi's got like a whole different element to his game. He's, I don't know, I, I have really good feelings about Max Domi. I think he's gonna be a ridiculous all-star. But maybe he turns out to be a um, flash in the pan. I don't know, but could be. I think, I think it's, I think it comes down to Domi, McDavid, um, and. I think Larkin is would I think Larkin will definitely make the finalists um, if he can continue to play how he has been playing.
1: Yeah, I, think I think Larkin he, has to be a level above everybody else, Domi, McDavid, and Eichel, uh, simply by the fact that he isn't playing. He's playing for a team that has um, expectations, and so it's going to be like, oh, Larkin's got teammates that that those guys don't have, and so if they tie in points, that's going to be a loss for Larkin.
3: Yeah, Larkin has to lead NHL rookies in points. He has to be at least like if if an if an NHL rookie defenseman say gets 30 points, Larkin has to be 20 points clear of him. If an NHL defend, rookie defenseman has say 40 points, Larkin needs like 70 to 80 and on a sort of ascending scale like that. And Larkin also needs to score 10 goals against whoever will be the
1: NHL's rookie leading goaltender.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: Right on. Um, wow. Attack Dog wants to know what's up with Cronwall. He has not looked good this year. Is that just kind of a slow start or has the uh, the specter of hockey death uh, caught up to him? Wow. He didn't say that. I i'm just paraphrasing
2: oh okay well i i don't think that cronwall has looked that bad um as the like totality of the season maybe not stellar but i don't think that he's been garbage i don't think that he looks old and broken down and his legs aren't falling off which (laughs) which is what some of the comments i've read would would lead lead me to believe people think I mean, he's he's getting older every year, which is shocking, I know, because that definitely doesn't happen to the rest of us, but I I don't think it's a huge deal. Yeah,
1: I mean, um, I guess he's still playing yeah. defensively really well. It's just his, his offensive game is basically
0: non-existent. He has eight shots in eight games, and up until the Western trip, he had zero shots. Um, it's starting to dip. I don't think we're going to see the same Cronwell anymore. Uh, I think that he is pri- he's getting to the point where it's like, okay, should... Probably not be the, the anchor of this defensive team, uh, the defense anymore. Probably start bringing them back a little bit, start easing them into some easier competition. But I don't know. I don't think they'll happen. I don't think that'll happen. I don't think they can they can afford to do that.
3: The injuries um, won't help. Yeah,
0: it's, yeah. It's, they don't have anybody who they don't have anybody who could. I mean, you could put DeKaiser there, but that's a that's a crapshoot. You don't know what's going to happen. Um, so. Uh, yeah, I, I think we're definitely going to see a uh, significant dip, and the regression is going to kick in. And uh, that's okay because he's getting older and he hasn't had good a, a good partner, and it looks like he won't for a while because Erickson is going to be stuck with him. So, whatever.
3: Over-under, 1.5 Wallings this season.
0: I hope it's under.
1: I'll take the under. I think he's probably mm. he's just kind of done with that. That's just not the way he plays anymore. It's not the way they do.
0: And I think, I, guess, uh, I think, honestly, the league's not going to allow it anymore.
1: Yeah. I think it was, it was a case where Cronwall was always at his best when he was on the second pair, and then he had to get trusted for the thir- the first pair. And from there, it was like he. We knew he was not a great first pairing defenseman. He was serviceable, and he's starting to fall off of that even. He needs to go back to at least being on the second pair. But yeah, like, like Kyle just said, I don't know if we can do that. Um, DeKaiser seems to be the best option for that, but um honestly we need a guy who can play defense like Cronwall can we just also need that person to uh to provide some offense and and Cronwall's not doing that
2: I think that DeKaiser could could come into that role though like I would be comfortable Obviously, it's harder with Green hurt now. But if we were, you know, if he was healthy, I would be comfortable with putting DeKaiser Green as your top pairing and giving them more minutes because I, I think that they can handle it. Like I, I feel comfortable with DeKaiser with the current uh, defense that we have as being, you know, the next guy to step up and, and fill in at that number one role.
1: Right better sign him all right Acharya who wants to pretend wants us to pretend that she is a Lightning fan instead of a Red Wings fan which we all know you're lying just stop stop pretending Acharya um, <laughs> in regards to the uh, compensation for coaches and, and GMs hired away as, has been talked about a lot lately what do you think would have been fair for us for, for us to have gotten from Tampa for Iserman to go uh, be their GM
3: first round uh, I think a second round pick would have been fair. First round, Steven
2: Stamkos. Stamkos.
3: Yeah.
1: It's only fair. That's yeah. Stamkos or or bust, you
0: can. Second round is fine. I mean, whatever. I guess second round would have been fine. Whatever. I mean,
1: yeah, if you want to answer seriously, that's
0: Yeah, that's what I was saying. <laughs> Probably second correct.
1: And I mean, defensible. Yeah. All right, second to last question. Uh Nochal, um or Nocal or Nochal. I don't know how however he wants to pronounce Nukle. it. Nucle, there we go. Um, I just kind of covered it, but I want to get into more, a little bit more specifics. Uh, with Todd Nelson's coaching style and player usage making, will Todd Nelson's coaching style and player usage make the transition for players to Blasho's Red Wings more difficult than it had been in the last years? Basically, Blasho was grooming people to play Babcock's system. It doesn't necessarily seem that Nelson is doing the same here. Um, how big of an effect do you think that's going to have?
0: Well, uh, I guess I can go ahead and counter with, Last show was grooming players to play for Babcock System, but they never got to. So, um, And if they did, it it took them super. So uh, if we are going to go with that, then Nelson's doing the right thing.
2: I, th- I think there, that it could be more difficult. Um, talking to Nelson over the summer when he was up in Traverse City, um, He said, you know, that he and and Blashill and Derek Lalonde down in Toledo, too, they, you know, work together to try and coordinate, sort of coordinate systems, but use a lot of the same terminology and try and have that consistency for the players to make it an easier transition. But so far, it looks like... That is not like it's not um, syncing up nearly as well as uh, Blashill did with with what Babcock was doing. And maybe that part of that is because Blashill actually was an assistant in Detroit for a year and he had sort of a, an inside perspective. But I, I do think that there's the possibility that it will not be as easy a transition for players from Grand Rapids to Detroit with with Nelson, at least the way he's currently doing things. I hope that's not the case, but I, I do think it's a, a realistic possibility.
1: All right, and the very last question of the night. This one is from uh, Jaij from Kansas uh, wants to know whose phone keeps buzzing. Not you mine. Not mine. Want to admit to
3: that? Yeah, it's not mine. So my my buzz function is turned off. Well,
2: yeah, and I I wasn't on, so it couldn't have been me. So ha. Huh. Apparently, we is, have
0: another person in this podcast. It who is was to be
1: quiet. Nobody is responsible for.
2: It was Graham.
0: Damn it, It Graham. Graham.
1: (laughs) Okay, well that's it for uh, for reader questions. So I'm going to hand it back over to Kyle to rip us through the uh, the week ahead predictions.
0: Uh, Yes, sir. Uh, So we got uh, three more games left in October. Uh, Crazy how quickly it's gone by. So we draw the Hurricanes tomorrow uh, in Carolina, and then we play a home and home with the Senators of Ottawa team, who looks like they're I mean they're pretty good, I guess. and then we, uh, we 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 start off November with uh, with against the Lightning in Tampa. Then we play the Maple Leafs in Detroit. And then from there we play the Stars, and we go all the way. You know, we go down. I could I could do this for an hour, but I'm not going to. Um, so let's just stick with the rest of October. Let's start small. Um, Red Wings need to win two games. They need to win two out of three. They just they need to win some games. They need to build off of what they did in Vancouver. Um, they need to gain their confidence back, and they need to uh jump on this pony and ride it off into the sunset because you know it's early in the season now but if we're staring down the barrel of a 500 team in November I'm not going to feel too good so um you know I I feel like they need to really just uh come out and play a good game a good dominant game uh tomorrow and uh hopefully get a point and uh <laughs> Uh, preferably two points, but I think that ultimately they need to build on what they did in Vancouver and take at least uh, four points over the next three games, and I'm also take say, Eric Carlson.
2: Yes. Well, well, you know, maybe. Uh, I'm going to say that they're going to beat Carolina, and we will win Friday night when we host Ottawa, and then probably lose in Ottawa on the back-to-back. Just so we'll lose, we'll lose. We'll lose on
0: Friday then and then we'll win on saturday. No. Yes, because we played the senators in ottawa on the 30th.
2: Well, who wrote this stupid schedule anyway? I don't know. So so we're just going no, to I
0: probably I'm sorry, I'm probably wrong. I'm my my is messed up. So you you you're probably right. My my apologies.
2: I am always right, Kyle. Didn't you know that?
0: Well, yeah. I'm letting you have this one.
2: And whatever whatever uh, Captain Zetterberg said to the team in the second intermission in Vancouver, he just needs to repeat before every game. Whatever it was that he said that rallied everybody, that's what he needs to do every game. And we'll never lose.
1: And then he'll lose the room. Third
3: I mean, party <laughs> confirmation, Friday in Detroit, Saturday in Ottawa.
0: Okay, I was wrong. I apologize, everybody.
2: You're, you're going to be sacked, Kyle. We're sacking you. Oh,
0: no, it's okay. People always yell at me anyway, so it's fine.
1: Joe, how are they doing?
3: I think that we will have a positive shot advantage against Carolina tomorrow by at least 20 shots and still score fewer than three goals, uh, but come away with two points. And I think we will come away from the weekend against the Senators with three points and with... Zero players injured because of cheap shots from the Senators. Boy, that is bold. Um
1: yeah.
2: I, You're just talking I think, crazy now.
1: I do not want to predict whether or not we're going to win against Carolina. I'm going to predict we're gonna get outplayed by Carolina. I just think that they've got our number this year. They're just gonna be that team that does that because the every new, year are they the New Islanders? Yeah. But I don't know that we're necessarily going to lose that game. Because it's Carolina still, I think that uh, we will lose a game to Ottawa because of dirt ball tactics. I'm not necessarily that somebody's going to get hurt, but they are a very uh, sneaky, dirty team. They don't get cre- they don't get enough credit for for how many shitheads they have on that roster. Um, like especially Kyle Turris, he's not necessarily like so dirty, but man, that guy dives so much. I hate Kyle Turris so. He's gonna do something that's gonna make me very mad on Saturday. That's my prediction.
2: And if Tomas Yurko plays, he's gonna get a goal. And an assist.
1: That's All okay.
0: right. And a that fire. is bold. <laughs> okay, well, uh, looks like we've got everything that we need. Uh, anybody wanna add anything else? Bruce
1: Bouger is gonna get fired soon.
0: And it will be a great day. I know. Fuck that guy. I will party. But in he the will streets. find a he will find a job very quickly. Yeah, I agree. Um, Because I think he's a decent coach. Uh, Probably shouldn't get fired because his team is playing like dog shit. But anyways, um, which, by the way, that Getzlop, when Taves just burned him on that three-on-three goal, was glorious. Oh, that was beautiful. And I don't like Jonathan Taves, but that was uh, surgical. So go watch that highlight. And, uh, yeah, so... Wrapping up this episode of Winging Motown Radio, I'm Kyle, your host. Uh, guys, we will talk next time, and uh, hopefully, you know, the Red Wings will be on the winning side of things then. More so on the winning side of things. Shut up, it's late. <laughs> I'm, I'm Winging wingin Motown. Motown. It's the worst exit ever. Good night. <laughs>